Merry Christmas, and welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McKee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm grateful that you're joining us in God's Word on this very special day. You know, there's really no better way to honor the birth of our Lord than to dig deep into His Word, so let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word that tells us of your Son, the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Bless those who are listening, Lord. Give us hearts to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Proverbs 19 on Through the Bible. Now, here in chapter 19, we have it like this. It says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Believe me, the Lord's forbidden us to call any man a fool, but he has really been using that word because apparently there are quite a few of them around in in the human family. Verse 2, also that the soul be without knowledge. It's not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Now, what he's doing here is what he's been doing actually all along in this parallelism by contrast. And here we have a contrast actually between those that are God's children and those that are not. And one is the path of truth, and the other is the path of self-will and that of the fool, if you please, and also of ignorance. Now, we've heard the old proverb today, where ignorance is bliss, is folly to be wise. Well, that is a false proverb. It's not true. I used to have several officers that seemed to pride themselves in the fact that, well, they would always speak out and say, well, that is theological, or that's biblical, and I don't know much about that. Well, I always felt like saying, and I had to bite my lip to keep from saying it, well, why in the world don't you know it? You ought to. A mature man, an officer in the church, and you're that devoid of spiritual understanding. And so here we have this distinction that is made. Here is a nice little saying that the professor sent me. No man is uneducated who knows the Bible, and no one is truly educated who is ignorant of its teaching. Now, that used to be true, but today they are far from it. I probably should say it like this. Today, this is not accepted as truth. There was a day when it is. I still consider this true. I don't think a man can be truly educated who is ignorant of the Bible. And certainly, Christians today ought not to be ignorant of the Bible. The thing that should characterize the child of God, therefore, is one who knows the Word of God. Now, we have here in verse 4, Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Now, the wealthy folk, materially, will always have a house full of guests. As long as the icebox is filled and the bar has plenty of bottles on it that are filled, and also there's plenty of music and entertainment and luxury that's around them, they'll have plenty of guests. But the interesting thing is, God says here that the poor man 
is the one that the child of God should seek out. You remember that James has a great deal to say about that. And I'm afraid that today we are putting a wrong emphasis. I hear so many people say, well, you know, we have a millionaire in our church. And how many preachers have told me that? I have a millionaire in my church. You might be better off without him, by the way. And you remember James in a very practical way. Now he says, here comes a man into your assembly. He has a gold ring and goodly apparel. There come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. Say to this poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. And may I say to you that I'm afraid today the poor man has his problems. And we sometimes wonder why there are a lot of folk that don't go to church. You can't get them into church. A couple were telling me they're a poor couple and not able to buy the latest. And what they have looks pretty worn. I've seen them so-called dressed up. They're telling about going to a church that has a reputation of being a very conservative, evangelical church. And you know what happened. My, they have been snubbed. It's been terrible what happened to them. May I say to you, friends, today, human nature hasn't changed down through the centuries. And I'm afraid that there's a whole lot of old nature that is showing. We used to say, you know, to a woman, your petticoat is showing. My mother used to always ask me when she went out, is my petticoat showing? My wife asked me that today. But there are a lot of folk that are stepping out and go to church move in society, that is, in their particular group, and their old nature is showing. And it shows in matters like this. God lays it on the line here, doesn't he? He says the poor is separated from his neighbor even. They find out you're a poor boy. They don't want you around. Now, verse 5, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Now, if you drop down to verse 9 here, you'll find that you have here a statement. Well, it seems to be a repetition. It says, a false witness shall not be unpunished. Well, that's exactly like verse 5 starts out. And he that speaketh lies shall perish. What he's saying here is this, that a false witness, he's not going to escape. He'll be found out. He'll be called to account for what he said. And not only that, he's going to perish. God will see to that. Take this matter of Naboth. You remember Naboth? The false witnesses rose up against him, and he lost his vineyard. Ahab took it, thought he got by with it. He didn't get by with it. Elijah met him and said, just the same way that you took Naboth, and right where his blood was shed, your blood's going to be shed. In fact, the dogs will lick it up there. And you know, Lahab says, well, that's one place I'll stay away from. <laughs> I won't be caught there because the dogs are not going to lick my blood. Well, what happened was this, that this man went into battle and it turned against him. And he had put Jehoshaphat out in front as the king and he thought he had escaped. And he was leaving the battle. 
and some trigger-happy soldier on the other side had one arrow left in his quiver and put it in the bow and pulled the bow. And it was a bow at a venture. That is, he didn't know what he was shooting at. But that arrow had Ahab's name on it. And that arrow started out and it just went zing. And when it did, it says, Ahab, where are you? I'm looking for you. And it found him. And my, he bled like a stuck pig. And he said to his servant, take me out of the battle. And he was taken out. And you know where they took him? To Naboth's vineyard. He could hide there, you know. And he died. His blood ran all down over the chariot. And they washed out the chariot. The dogs came and just licked up the blood. You say, that's crude and frightful. You bet it is. But my friend, lying, false witness, gossip in God's sight is really crude, and God hates it. He says that he does. What a picture that you have here in these Proverbs, by the way. Now, let me move on down. Verse 6, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. What a picture today. You could transfer that over to politics, couldn't you? Many will entreat the favor of the prince. Have you written your congressman yet? Have you written to the governor? Some write even to the president. And they generally get an answer because these men are very clever at making sure you get an answer. You don't always get what you ask for, though. And the other thing is, the man that's giving out gifts, he'll have a friend. There'll be somebody around. What a picture that we have here. Now, I want to move on down into this chapter. And if you'll notice here, verse 7, "...all the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they're wanting to him." Now, this is something that is quite true. The brethren of the poor, they do hate him. Now, not in the way that you and I think of. They just don't have much to do with him. In other words, the man that is prosperous, he looks out in his driveway and he sees one of his brothers that near do well drive up in an old jalopy. And he says to his wife, he says, wait, let's get in the bedroom and lock the door and act like we're not even at home. Now, that's what it means to hate your brother. That is, your friends and your brethren will not have much to do with you when you're poor. Poor don't do very well in this world, by the way. We hear a great deal today about the different ones. If they get into office, they're going to help all of us poor people. But they help me out of more taxes. Every time we have an election, my taxes go up. And I don't know why that's true, but it always happens that way. And every time somebody's going to relieve me, but nobody has yet. And you want to know something? I don't think anybody will. My feeling is today, problems have mounted so that no man can solve these problems. And any man, and I don't care who he is, that says that he can solve the problems of this world, that man, well, the Lord calls him a fool down here in Proverbs, and he told me not to do it, so I won't do it. But God calls that kind of a man that boasts like that. You know what we need? We need somebody to call us back to God. Somebody to say, look, I don't have the answer. I want to serve, and I want to serve God. <laughs> and I'd love to see the 
problem solved, and I'll do the best I can, but let's pray about it. Let's turn to God for a change. Well, we've tried everything else today, and I think it would be well to try God. And I think it would be better to listen to Him than to listen to so much of TV today. My feeling is that we need to hear God now. We've heard everybody else. They've all been on the talk shows. They've all had their little bit. They have passed across the stage of human events, and they've strutted and said their little say. And it hasn't been very impressive. We need today to turn to God. Now we have here, as I move on down to verse 13, a foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Now, remember last time he said the one who finds a wife, and that's a real wife, he finds a good thing. That is, he finds the other half of it. She's to be a helpmate. She's not to be a servant. That idea today that men have the wives to obey me. She's not to obey you. Where'd you get that idea that she's to obey you? She's to submit herself to you, of course, provided you're the right kind of a man. And if you're not, I don't think God has asked her to submit herself. The only instructions I find about submitting is in a Christian home to a Christian husband who loves his wife just like Christ loves the church. And when you got that kind of a husband and lady, you can submit yourself to him. But until you get that kind of a man, I don't think God's asked you to. I hope I'm not starting something, but somebody needs to say this today. And then, may I say to you that we need to see this. This one almost makes you laugh. Well, it's tragic, though. Think of the poor husband that's got a foolish son, and then he's got a wife that she's contentious. And you can imagine what kind of a home that he lives in. And I'm not sure but what that foolish son and that contentious wife are somehow or another related here. But it's wonderful when you find the right kind of a wife, by the way. Now we are told here houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, if you get a good wife, you got her from the Lord. And you ought to thank the Lord for her, by the way. You ever done that? Thank the Lord for if you've got a good wife, man, you ought to thank God for her because he's the one. And young man, this ought to tell you something. You want a good wife? Then the one who gives away good wives is not the father. Many fathers are glad to get rid of the daughter, by the way. But our heavenly father today, he has a lot of good wives to give away. And all you got to do is keep in touch with him and he'll lead you to the right one. He wants to give you the right kind of a wife. This is quite practical, don't you think, that he's given us here? Then verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Now, start young in your discipline. Don't wait too late. You can wait too late. A man told me that was saved late in life. He said, you know, my wife and I, we just got saved recently. And we're thanking God for it, but said we lost our children because we sure live like the devil. And we see that in our children today. And they waited too late, you see. You're to start young. 
And don't mind paddling little Willie if he cries, because he's already told us you won't kill him. But he is going to say something later on about the father that is to be very careful in the way that he deals with his child. It's pretty important that he handle the boy in the right way, you know, that he not be brutal in his dealings with the boy. We're going to come to one of those later on. I think probably we... Well, let me look back here at verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, but set not thy soul upon slaying him. Now, that is a translation that many feel is better than the one that we have. Now, don't mind punishing him. Don't mind disciplining him. But what he's saying here, a brutal punishment is not to be permitted. The fact of the matter is that even the law could step in like that today, and the law ought to. And God, is for Christians, has warned them about that. He says to children, obey your parents, over in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, verse 1. And then he says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Now don't wade into them when you are angry, and they know you're angry, and you're just venting your hatred, and you're probably punishing a little too hard. In fact, you could be brutal. The thing you're to do is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the thing that is important. Now, verse 21, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Now, man comes up with many explanations, many solutions, but God is the only one that can give you the right kind of advice. Now, verse 22, The charm of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. That is a strange one, is it not? You see, the charm of a man is his kindness. How many folk do you know like that? They're kind, generous, lovely folk. And now we're back with the poor man, this poor relative, you know, that came for dinner and stayed for a couple of years with you. Well, it's better to have him than to have a liar. Then in verse 23, the fear of Jehovah tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall rest satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Now, this idea that you're to fear God, and that means you're to cringe, and that you are to be in dread all the time, and you're to move like that. Well, May I say that this proverb makes it very clear that real fear of God, it means that now you can rest satisfied. To fear God means that you recognize Him, you've looked to Him, you've accepted Him, you want to follow Him. Now you can rest satisfied. That's what real fear of God is, and that is something we need to know. Now, here is one that is humorous, verse 24 a slothful man beareth his hand in the dish and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. And that means a man can be so lazy that he can put his hand down in the dish to eat and he's too lazy to put the food up to his mouth. My friend, when you get to a place like that, you're lazy. There's no question about that. Judgments are prepared 
for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. Verse 29, judgment is coming. That is something that is quite obvious. The pleasures of sin are but for a season, but the wages of sin are for eternity. We'll hear more from Dr. McGee, but first, if you'd like to share the good news of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ with a friend or family member, we'd like to help. You can visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God or call 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll put a few resources out in the mail to you. Now, I'm Steve Schwetz. For everyone at Through the Bible, we're wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas, and we're praying that Jesus Christ is lifted high in your heart and your home and wherever God's Word is heard today on the Bible bus. Here's Dr. McGee to close our time together. In verse 8, where it says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul, and he that keepeth understanding shall find good. The word there for wisdom actually is a little different word, and some translations even have it heart. Well, it actually, of course, means wisdom, but a peculiar type of wisdom. It means just plain, old, good, common sense. As I heard a preacher say once in a meeting, he says, what we need is sanctified common sense. And I think that that's in short supply today, and we certainly do need it. Now, in verse 9, here we have a false witness shall not be acquitted, and he that breatheth out lies shall perish. Now, we have mentioned this verse actually before, but this reveals the doom of the liar. It's quite interesting what the Scripture has to say about the liar all the way through and get to the New Testament that no liar is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can be sure of one thing. Liars do not come out very well in Scripture. And yet that's one of the common sins of the day. It is something that is very prevalent today. It's hard to come by the truth, by the way. Now we come to verse 10 here, and it says, Luxury is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant, to have rule over princes. Now this is quite an interesting verse for today. Quite a few men have become millionaires during the past few years. One magazine carried a list of some of the new millionaires. And there are many people that are getting rich today. They've gotten rich quickly because of maybe the twist and turn of the economy. It's been to the disadvantage of the majority, but there have been a few that have gotten rich, and they can be called the nouveau riche. They are the new rich. They are the ones that have riches and really don't know how to handle it. First of all, they buy themselves a Cadillac. That's a status symbol, you know. Many other cars, I guess, are just as good, but a Cadillac is a status symbol. And then they buy a new home out in the best section of the city or the town in which they live. In other words, they begin to display, and sometimes it's a vulgar display of wealth. 
And that is what this proverb is talking about. Then it talks about a servant that's been lifted to a high position. That is, a man actually not capable of holding a high position, yet he finds himself put in that position. And that, may I say, is the thing that happens in our political system today. Democracy is a wonderful thing if it works. But when we see men of limited ability, that because of some little quirk that they have, some peculiarity, they are lifted to a high position, while good men, capable men, are passed by. It's one of the discouraging features of our democratic system to see that. This proverb says much less for a servant to have rule over princes. The little man lifted up above men of greater and superior ability. That's one of the things that we have here. Now, I'd love to pursue that, but I do not have time. So until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus came home, to be my home. Sin had left a crimson We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.